0: One of the men of the 20th, one of the great men of the 20th century passed away, Nelson Mandela, and many much has been written, many opinions have been voiced, and what I would simply say is, uh, overarchingly, what Nelson Mandela was known for was his efforts to end an apartheid regime, uh, an unjust system of racial separation, and for the most part did that peacefully. Now, he was jailed for losing patience with the peaceful process, and I can't say I would have been any different. I'm not sure I would have got on the peaceful protest bandwagon to start with. Nonetheless, Nelson Mandela in 1993 was awarded jointly the uh, Nobel Peace Prize, along with Willem de Klerk, for, quote, their work for the peaceful termination of the apartheid regime and for the laying the foundation's for a new democratic South Africa. Peace is a, was a huge theme, particularly of the political life of Nelson Mandela when he became the president of South Africa. And if you've never seen the movie Invictus, starring Morgan Freeman and Matt Damon, Matt Damon actually acts in this movie. And so it's a, it's a really impressive debut. Actually, he's great. Uh, but it will give you a notion of the kind of peaceful. Transition that, that, uh, that President Mandela had to usher in a very difficult season. Peace is obviously our topic for today. When we are dealing with the subject of Advent, we have four themes we deal with, and we lit the candle of peace today. Throughout the years, you've seen signs, uh, symbols for peace. Uh, one of the symbols is the olive branch and the dove. In Christian traditions, you've seen this. And, and it's rooted in, um, in Noah and the story of Noah, uh, the floods, uh, the, the torrent of storms ending and then a dove coming and, thank you, and, 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 and carrying with him in his beak an olive branch. You also perhaps are familiar with the peace sign, you know, and what most people don't equate the peace sign with is it's really the sign for victory, and and it was done when a war came to a conclusion. It was the sign that peace had arrived, victory had come, peace, a conflict was over. There are other signs perhaps you're familiar with, the peace symbol. Now, this is really fascinating if you don't know the history behind the peace symbol. You may just think 60s and hippies. But it's really uh, a sign that was created to stop nuclear disarmament. And you, uh, the, the sign itself is a semaphore uh, combination of those two, N and D, nuclear disarmament. And it created this peace sign. So if you ram together the, the D and the N, uh, that's what you'd get. Is you'd get this peace sign. And it has become, for so many, the symbol of peace in the world. Uh, I'm familiar with uh, the bumper stickers that I'll see from time to time, and when racial tensions are huge around the world, sometimes you'll see this one, uh, no justice, no peace, which implies we're we're not going to let you have your peace and quiet if we don't get treated fairly. And then you see the, the Christian counterpart to that, which is no Jesus, no peace, and then they get really creative and go, no Jesus, no peace. If you got one of those Christian bumper stickers on your car, God bless you. I can't, <laughs> I can't do it. I'm really sorry. <laughs> because I, I speed a lot, and when you get pulled over by the police and you've got Jesus bumper stickers on your car, it's just a terrible witness. So I've decided that instead of stopping speeding, I would just not put Christian bumper stickers on my car. And that is a really twisted, warped way of thinking of things. So, children, please ignore your pastor today. Um, I, I kid. Um, This bumper sticker, No Jesus, No Peace, with the N-O, a lot of people that are not church people don't understand this. I would imagine that there are a lot of people who are church people that wouldn't get the sentiment behind this particular bumper sticker either. Uh, But the the idea is that if you have Jesus, you get to know peace, and if you don't have Jesus, there's no chance you're going to know peace, and people will often go, well, that's not true. I've got peace in my life or we can't achieve peace in the world without like becoming religious like you. And so there's this natural kind of like that doesn't make any sense to me. And one of the reasons people perhaps outside of faith don't understand why there wouldn't be any peace apart from Christ is because the way they understand the peace of God is is very shallow or very one dimensional when in fact, when we talk of peace in Christian terms, we're talking of a lot of different types of peace. The fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 and what we call my soul being at peace. thats Your soul is at rest. It's free from anxiety and worry and, and you know, personal torment. You, you're, you, you're at peace. You think of personal peace. Most people can experience a personal peace as long as they have enough money. Or as long as there are no conflicts in their life, they would say, I'm I'm at peace. But it's always conditioned upon the circumstances being just right. When we speak of a, a Christian peace, we speak of something that's much different. We also speak in the generic term in a world that, you know, an absence of conflict, not a personal peace, but more of a relational peace. We think of it nationally. We have yet in my lifetime said, the Middle East is at peace. And I don't know that until Jesus comes back, we're ever going to be able to say that. But, you know, in my lifetime, we've had a couple of seasons. And again, I'm approaching the 50-year mark here in the next year and a half. And, uh, and what I got to tell you is that in my lifetime, there's been a handful of seasons where we have not been at war as a nation. Uh, once a stretch between the Vietnam War and the Gulf War in the 80s. But we are seemingly always in conflict with somebody. And so some of us think of peace in terms of, you know, I I am not at peace with somebody. They and I don't like each other very much. Then there is uh, the way we use peace in terms of making peace. Reconciliation. I am reconciling myself, either to a person or to the fact that I've lost my hair, you know. Uh, I've made peace with the fact that I'm bald. I mean, you know, what am I going to do? Like invest in the hair club for men or go get some plugs or, you know, and why would I do that? And so to save my family the money of having to, uh, you know, invest in hair treatment for me, I have reconciled myself. I have made peace with my baldness. And so there are all these different ways we talk about peace. And so when we start talking about it in religious terms, sometimes there's some confusion and we think, you know, what are we talking about? Advent peace. What kind of peace is it? And here's my Christmas gift to you. That's really Jesus' Christmas gift to you, so it would be inappropriate for me to call it my Christmas gift to you, is that Jesus' peace is comprehensive. That's the first thing I want you to see this morning from our text. His peace isn't one-dimensional. It's comprehensive. Now, the starting point for us is him obviously making peace with us but that has an, a, a powerful effect of changing the dynamics of all of our relationships. Look at the text with me, if you will. I begin with verses 9 and 10. The angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. And then finally in verse 14, glory to, the God, of the, glory to God in the highest and on peace And and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. In verses 10 and 14, this is a peace that is comprehensive in its reach. When we talk about it being comprehensive, we're talking about not just a single group of people, not just the Israelites, but all the people. And on earth, this is something for everyone. I'm fascinated by the idea that shepherds and then wise people from the east and other Christians uh, traditions and, and actually in other passages in scripture, that some of the people that were exposed to the incarnate Christ in his manger uh, were not Israelites. And so, right away, God is announcing to the people and to us this is not just for your little group of people, this is for the whole world. We have the luxury of living in a city like Los Angeles where you have tons of people groups, people from every nation in the world. Flocked to the major cities of the United States, so we can't ever see things ethnocentrically, where we're like, "Yes, this is about our little country." Because it, there's no way in the world you could actually think that way and live in our church, let alone our world, let alone our city. So, you know, when when the Israelites were a very monocultural group of folks, they genuinely felt as if they were the center of the universe. And when Jesus came to the Israelites, as the Apostle Paul would say in Romans chapter 1, he came first to the Jew, but then to the Gentile, where that there was an outpouring. When Jesus told the disciples to go and have a mission and, and go into the world, he said, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and then Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. So the idea is that this gospel, this great news, and, and very particularly this component of The gospel, the peace, the incarnation of Jesus brings a peace that is comprehensive. A savior has been born to us. And when I think of the word savior, it conjures up the images of somebody rescuing. And that's technically a term for savior. And so I don't know what your situation is in life. I don't know what the particular challenge you may be facing in life is, I don't know that which might be causing you anxiety or the relationship that might be causing you a certain degree of angst because you are not at peace with someone, but Jesus has come to save that, to redeem that, to rescue that. It's not just your eternal soul, although that is a huge component of the Christian message, the, the gospel, the peace of Christ has come to invade your relationships. He's come to be the savior, the comprehensive savior of that which is going on in your life. Otherwise, we would just kind of keep to ourselves and keep everybody away from us. He said, if, before you lose hope that that relationship isn't rescuable, I am coming to save that. In Isaiah chapter 40, one of our texts for today, the scripture says in verse 3 through 5, in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it. Do you get the comprehensive nature of this? This is not small, this is not isolated, it's not just for us, it's for everybody. And it's not just for one little component of your life, it's for every area of your life the peace of God has come. So it's come comprehensive in its reach, it's come comprehensive in its result. And the angel says to them in verse 10, one of the first concerns, because imagine being out in a field tending to your sheep, and then all of a sudden... The angel of the Lord appears to you. It would scare you. And the text here says, the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. This is a rational, rational response to the exposure of the glory of God to your life and to the miracle of the supernatural. I mean, when that would happen, it would freak you out, especially in the dark, you know, out in the middle of the plain with your smelly sheep. So in comes this, entrance of jesus in the or the angel of god into into this world and they were scared and the word of the lord to them the angel said do not be afraid this is a huge concern of god for you and i that we wouldn't walk through life bound by our fears it doesn't mean that there it isn't rational to be afraid it doesn't mean that it isn't normal it doesn't even mean that it's not healthy Because I would tell you if you're going to walk down the middle of the 210 in traffic, you should be afraid. It would be unhealthy. You would be nuts. In other words, there'd be something wrong with you if you weren't afraid. I would tell you to get off the road. That said, our natural response of anxiety is not how Jesus wants us to go through life. He does not want us to look at our financial situation and go, oh, how's the Lord going to provide for my family? He doesn't want us to be overwhelmed with anxiety he wants us to look to him as our savior he wants to bring peace to to promise that he'll provide for us you may say i i don't know how god's going to provide a job for me or i don't know how god's going to provide a spouse for me or i don't know how god will you know will god provide children for me and my and my spouse will will god bring my children to faith in christ will all the things that would overwhelm us jesus is saying I want to bring peace. And in verse 14, it says, peace to men on whom his favor rests. So this is a peace that is really born of his grace and his kindness. It's not something you can earn. It's not something you can work real hard to get. It is a rest. It is a gift. It comes and you say, God loves me. He's gonna provide for me. He's gonna take care of me. I can rest. And he says, if you experience this, you'll understand a peace, a peace that is comprehensive in its reach and in its result. In Colossians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul writes to a group of believers about the requirement that if they have experienced the peace of God, they must extend that to each other. He says to the Colossians in chapter 3, verses 12 through 15, "...therefore as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, and gentleness, and patience." Bear with one another and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. The summary verse is, let the peace of Christ rule. All of the things that came before it, the requirement of patience, compassion, kindness, humility, and gentleness, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. All of these things are built on the foundation that we've actually experienced this with God. We've experienced a peace with God that we know what that's like. And peace with God, genuine peace with God is built on on a foundation of knowing that whatever difficulties whatever sin, whatever struggle, whatever has separated you and I from God has been dealt with in the coming of Christ. In his incarnation, in the life he lived, in perfect obedience to the Father, in complete and total submission to his Father's will and his own desire to rescue us, this this peace was made possible because he was willing to come from his relative, I mean, Amazing comfort compared to this world and live and die for us. His peace is as comprehensive as the purpose for his coming was. Of late, within theological circles, there is a renewal of debate about what is called uh, substitutionary penal atonement. Now, not that you need to know all about that this morning, but we use the verbiage in our world that Christ died for sins. We talk about that a lot. People run into conflict quite a bit about, you know, how does a loving God require that justice be meted out? And why did Jesus have to die for sins? And there, there, so there's some legitimate concerns that it seems like there's a contradiction between the love of God and his need to exact justice. I would like to introduce once again the notion that those things aren't mutually contradictory right, that that you and I actually live every day with the same coexisting themes in our lives. If someone were to kidnap a relative of yours, you would be rightly offended by that. If they were to harm somebody you love, there would be something really wrong with you psychologically if you didn't feel offense at such a thing. And there'd be something extremely wrong with our justice system if They were not held accountable for that wronging of you. So we don't think anything of that. We think, well, of course. Now, we don't have to be mean about it, but you know what? If justice is going to be done, wrongs need to be righted, apartheid needs to end, things that are bad need to become good, all these things glorify God. Where the rubber sometimes hits the road is when we start talking about our own culpability before God. We start talking about whether or not God has a right or should be offended by our own sin. And if we are afraid of God, it would make us think, well, he isn't, you know, offended. And it would make us perhaps quick knee-jerk to a resistance to the idea that Jesus would have to be punished to save us from our sins. The good news about The gospel the good news about the peace that jesus brings the the relational personal and spiritual peace that he wants to bring Between you and him is is that it is comprehensive It's all of those things and the gospel itself and the atoning sacrifice of christ itself Is not just about satisfying the justice of god with regards to our sin It's about the restoration of our life. It's about the resurrection if you will of our lives from a place of sadness and the incapability of restoring relationships and restoring and reconciling uh, tensions between people and nations and all of the things that should come as a result of this. To that end, D.A. Carson says this, Are there passages in which the biblical writers insist that Christ in his death triumphed over the powers of darkness? Are there passages in which Christ's self-sacrifice becomes a moral model for his followers? Are there passages in which Christ's death is said to be a propitiation for sins? For instance, a sacrifice that turns away the wrath of God. If the answer is yes to these three options, and there are still more options I have not mentioned here, then choosing only one of them is being unfaithful to Scripture, for it is too limiting. The gospel the atoning sacrifice of Christ, the peace of Christ is huge. It's incomprehensible. It makes us marvel at the depth of it and makes us think, how can this get practically applied to my life where I would see it? And once in a while, we get a glimpse of it. Once in a while, we get a glimpse of the love of God or the peace of God or the magnitude of God. And, and, and we need to grasp onto that and, and stare at it and meditate on it. We need to think, what a wonderful thing it is that this has entered into my life, and I'm going to use that as a means to see something about the character of God. I have a friend, and he's actually a friend of Karen's and mine. I mentioned Karen earlier. I mentioned her twice this morning. Um, his name is Dean and Sarah, and Dean is the pastor of City Church. When I was a youth minister, Dean was a high school student in Florida, Uh, And he has gone on to plant what is probably one of the fastest growing churches in the southeast and certainly the fastest growing church in our hometown of Tallahassee, Florida. And over the years, he and I have kept the friendship up um, because, you know, he would call and say, hey, I've got I've got a question for you. And I'm like, listen, you have a church of a couple thousand people and I have a church of a couple people. And so what is it that you actually want to know from me and Know, and he'd be like, how do you keep your marriage together for 23 years? And i go, perhaps I had to put my wife on the phone because she, she might give better advice as to how to make that happen. But needless to say, we've developed kind of a, a camaraderie over the years. He's been very kind, and we've uh, tried to love each other. And he knows what a West Virginia football nut I am. And this past week, I got a, a just unexpected treat from him. I got a package in the mail, and, and I got this note that I've actually been carrying around with me because it reminds me of just the overwhelming kindness of God. And uh, in the note, he said, hey, I met Steve Slayton. Now, Steve Slayton was one of the great running backs in West Virginia football history. He goes, and I got this for you. And in this package was a picture of Steve Slayton signed and autographed by him. He said, hope it can be a good addition to your office. Now, this is a completely and totally unexpected thing. I mean, I had no notion of it happening. And I'm sort of kind of amazed with all he's got going on in his life that he had actual time to think about little old me and, and my love for West Virginia sports. But instead of just saying, oh, wow, well, I got a picture of Steve Slayton, there's so much more that I'm seeing in that. And, and, I, and I call attention to it because I feel like for us, when we see the manifestations of God's peace, we, we need to recognize the, the magnitude of what he is doing and entering into our world. When Jesus came in the incarnation, it's not a small thing that once a year we kind of celebrate with candles and and candy. Uh, This is huge. He was thinking of you. He was out there (laughs) in the comforts of heaven, and the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit said, I need to go and save these people. I'm going to come and bring peace to their world, both personally and relationally and ultimately with me. This peace is comprehensive and it's huge. Uh, The second thought I want to share with you today is this. The peace is counterintuitive. Now, this is what's odd is that one of the reasons that perhaps people who don't know Jesus wouldn't be able to quote unquote know his peace would be because The kind of peace that Jesus talks about is a little bit different and it's achieved not in a way that we would achieve peace in this world. As I mentioned before, many of us would sit around and dream if I hit the lottery, I'd have not a worry or care or concern in the world. Now that's not true and there's some verifiable research to say such a thing. You'll find that you had relatives you never knew before. All right, But at the same time, that peace that I'm not going to ever worry about anything in the world again is built upon something that is as fragile as money. And this is often the way we would construct peace in our world. In our text chapter 2 verses 15 through 20, the angels left them and gone into heaven. The shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. Now, I've I, highlighted this particular verse because I'm trying to maybe capture the amazement of what's going on the shepherds experience this thing with you know the angel in the middle of the you know in the middle of their desert wanderings with their sheep but the thing that's remarkable about it is what he told them like there's a king that's in a manger what in the world is he talking about this is the nature of of the gospel too the, the 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 counterintuitive nature the paradoxical nature of so much the incarnation of the gospel is that the king of kings would come and be born in a stable it goes on to say in this passage when they had seen him they spread the word concerning what had been told about him about this child and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them yeah. The amazement they experienced was such that they could not keep it to themselves. It was so vexing and so unbelievable and so phenomenal and so different than what they had come to expect that they worshipped him and they returned to their place of life and glorified God and praised him. This is the paradoxical reality of the gospel Unlike the peace of the world, which is usually brought about by our own efforts, Jesus' peace defies logic. It is rooted in the most secure of things, namely his deity, which we see in the incarnation, the birth of God in a human form, and at the same time, his infiniteness, and that he has been forever. It is visible to us because of the incarnation the melding together of his humanity and his deity, we see this peace capable and possible, and it's only because we are sure that the God of all creation has promised us that he's going to take care of the things of our lives. See, the only way you can actually experience the peace of God is to come into to experience God himself. The peace of God doesn't make any sense if you don't actually believe in him, And if you don't actually have an experience with him that would say, you can rest, it's theoretical, but it's not actual. So the peace that we would have to experience, as the scriptures would say in a variety of different places, sort of confounds us. In Philippians 4, 6, and 7, actually, let me read what Jesus says about his peace. In John 14, 27, he says, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled and do not be afraid. In other words, his peace is independent of the circumstances. His peace that he can impart to you and to me to save us from our anxiety and our fear is not related in any way, shape, or form to how well things are going at work or how well things are going in your marriage or how obedient your children are or how uh, whatever you're wanting is coming about in too slow a fashion for you. Paul says this in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It is a supernatural peace. It is something that you can't earn. This is a peace that will only come through Glad r- glad dependence on God alone for it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 through 10, the apostle writes another paradoxical component of the Christian experience. He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, my power is made perfect in weakness, and then later on in verse 10, for when I'm weak, then I am strong. Once again, the Christian life is. The, at the moment we are at our weakest, at the moment when we are at our most despondent, that is when the peace of God can come and we can say, I'm at rest, and it's, it's miraculous. I can't believe I'm at rest. But it's only when we quit working, it's only when we cease striving, that we get to say, I'm going to rely on God alone. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, this is the nature of our message. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it's written, I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? And what is the conventional wisdom? If you want peace... You've got to work to make sure your life lines up just right. That everybody's doing what you need them to do. That you have all the resources you need to never have to worry about anything. And what are the odds that that's ever going to happen? People are messed up. We're messed up. Nobody in your office is going to line up just like you'd like them to. Nobody in your house is going to comply with your every wish. And there's never going to be enough money. Friends, you and I are called to experience a peace that is only going to come about when we stop striving. And why does God offer a peace that is comprehensible only through the miracle of His work? It's so that we would know the comprehensive peace that He offers and we'd never forget that it's given to bring Him glory and honor. That others would see Him in the peace that we experience. The nature of the incarnation of the gospel is a series of paradoxes. Eternal enters time. Perfect is exchanged for imperfect. Through love, God curbs his wrath. And the ultimate paradox is what it took for the father to make peace with his children. The scriptures teach us in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that Jesus became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. You say, what in the world does that mean? And I, I want to take a second to try to explain this because the essence of Christianity, the essence of being able to be at peace with God Almighty is you knowing what it means to cease striving to be holy and good to earn his love. It means that you, you quit trying to be religious. You quit trying to be good. You say, I'm never going to be able to earn God's favor. See, the peace of God rests on those on whom his favor rests and it doesn't have anything to do with how good you are the good news of the gospel is that jesus has taken care of any need for you to work 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 to achieve peace with him in much the same way he's calling you and i to rest and allow him to give us a supernatural peace about life's difficulties he's saying i want you to quit trying to be good to get me to like you more I want you to quit trying to be good to secure your salvation. I want you to quit trying to be good. I want you to rest and experience a peace with me that has nothing to do with your efforts. It has everything to do with your complete and total dependence on me. In the gospel, we would hold out that Jesus on the cross didn't just suffer for our sins that the scriptures would say, and if you need the reference, you can look it up later, 2 Corinthians 5.21, He became sin. All of our sin was put onto him and then all of his righteousness was given or as theologians would call it, imputed to us. The image we speak of and actually sing of it in hymns is that the father would then see his son covered with our shame and sin and he would look away from the son. And the irony is is that the way we get Our holy God to look at us is to have all of our badness placed on Jesus. The way we have our peace with God restored is God would look away from his son who is now the embodiment of all of our gunk and he would look towards us. See, in looking away from our sin, he can now embrace us and forgive any offense that we have. It's all about what he has done, not what we do. It's all about his willingness to look away from his own son who'd become sin for us, and then we become the righteousness of God. If you've never seen the great seal of the United States of America, there's some real fascinating components to it. Um, You'll notice that the eagle that represents our great nation He's holding in one hand arrows, and in the other hand, what is he holding? An olive branch. And during times of war, our great seal changes. Did you know that? The eagle will actually look at the arrows. And when we're at peace, the eagle will look at the olive branch. Now, we're not technically at war. There have been a a handful of times where the nation would categorize the state of our nation as at war when we declare war. So right now, the the mini-conflicts we're having uh, around the world don't constitute such a thing. So we are technically at peace. We haven't declared war on anybody just yet except drugs and terrorism, which are too generic for us to really change the logo for. So we're looking at an eagle who is looking away from war and looking to peace. And this is what we are blessed with in the gospel and that what the Father has done is he said, you know what, you at one time, and this is not a scripture I'm making up, in Romans chapter five, verses eight through 11, you won't see it on the screen behind me, I'll read it, you'll have to trust me, you can look it up later if you'd like. God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Now I want to make clear that this is the scripture, and this is the Apostle Paul writing, verse 10. For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, But we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We were once enemies of God. He was looking at our sin, and and he, he, he could not look on it, and he could not be in relationship with us. And Jesus became that for us so that we could look into the face of God as his friends and ultimately achieve this peace with him. And it is this peace that is not just the end of the road for us. It is this peace that leads to the reconciling of relationships in our world. It is is this peace that should propel us to pursue reconciliation with friends and loved ones and family members. It is this peace that should, as the scriptures say, give us a, a source of joy that if we were reconciled him through his death, now that Jesus has been resurrected from the dead, what does that mean for you and me? It means that life now is going to take on an entirely new dimension. That it's not just about Jesus being crucified. We get to move on to living life with the victorious Christ in this world. The joy of his presence and the capacity for us to begin to make adjustments in the world that bring him ultimately glory and honor. His peace is comprehensive. His peace is counterintuitive. And today, perhaps you're someone who says, I'm ready to quit working for it. I'm just going to cry out for it. And during our time of communion, you're invited, you're his child, to come forward and say, I'm done trying to be something. I'm ready to simply receive peace with you as your Christmas gift to me. So let's pray to that end, shall we? Our Lord and God, Today, we're amazed that you love us. Um, If we were to take any honest assessment of how holy or righteous we were, we would come to the conclusion that we didn't deserve your kindness and there's nothing we could do to earn your favor. Many of us have been raised in churches and in religious environments where we've been told that we cannot be at peace with you until we achieve a certain level of goodness or holiness. And today, we would pray that you would help us to cease striving for trying to earn your love or trying to get you to like us more or trying to get you to forget about the stuff in our lives. I pray that today you would help us to experience a peace that is born and totally rooted in your coming to us, your coming down and incarnating this world with your presence. And Jesus, your exchanging our unholiness for your holiness and giving us your life and your righteousness. Would we be at peace today because of you, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.